The story is told of an 18th century Scottish preacher by the name of Hector MacPhail. Hector was going through great darkness on his deathbed. He couldn't get any peace. Fathers tried to help him, but all to no avail. That is, until he had a dream. And in that dream, he could picture himself standing outside the gates of heaven. Some of the Old Testament saints of God were found to be approaching and the gates were to be opened before them. Abraham, David, Moses. And the question was then heard by Hector, Hector, can you go in with them? With David, who committed adultery and murder. With Abraham, who told lies about his wife. Hector could only say and answer, No, I'm a greater sinner than them all. There's no room for me. And the gates closed again. And then others approached from the New Testament times, Peter and Paul and Thomas. Peter who denied the Lord with oaths and curses. Paul who blasphemed and who caused havoc to the church of Jesus Christ. Thomas who denied the Lord. And they're all seen to be going in. Can you go in with them, Hector? No, I'm a greater sinner than them all. And he saw the reformers. And he saw members of his own congregation. And he knew all their faults and all their feelings. He had pastored a long time amongst them. Hector, can you go in with them? No, I'm a greater sinner. And this went on until he was to notice a solitary figure approaching the gate. And his heart took on a faster beat. And he started to think to himself, are the gates going to open for this person? And sure enough, they did. Hector awoke from his dream. It was only a dream. There's no divine revelation in it because now we have the complete canon of God's Word. And when we read of dreams in the Old Testament, for example, or the New, it was one of the means whereby God spoke. But he doesn't need to use dreams any longer because we have the Word of God. But while it had no divine revelation in it, Hector MacPhail realized that there was room for the greatest of sinners in the blood of Christ. He realized there was room for him if there was room for this solitary figure. Who was this solitary man? Who was he? He was the man that we read about in this passage in 2 Chronicles 33. For what we see in these verses is a great sinner, but a greater Savior. And that means there's hope for you tonight, even under the sound of the gospel, if you're not saved. I want you to see here, firstly, the depraved nature. A look at this man from the start of this chapter brings us to consider one who was a child of promise and of prayer. We realize that he was 12 years of age when his father died. And that would have been difficult for this young man a very time when he needed that fatherly advice and correction. His father was taken from him. There was no longer that fatherly figure in his life which would have corrected him when he did wrong. And fathers in the house of God tonight, you know, the same is needed to this very day. 
I trust that you don't leave the correction needed for the children unto their mother because the father is the head of the home and God has bestowed authority on us for these things. And remember that the proverb tells us that there's foolishness bound up on the heart of the child. The children need corrected. But here's a young man and at the very age of 12 his father is taken away. He's taken from him. And we must realize that his father was a godly man. He was a man by the name of Hezekiah. I want you to consider what is said of him in a corresponding passage. I'll have to take you back uh, to do that. Second Kings chapter 18 and the words of verse 5. It tells us of Hezekiah. He's 25 years of old when he began to reign. When he's on the throne. And verse 5 tells us, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Why would the Holy Ghost write that about him? Because it says, For he cleaved to the Lord, and he departed not from following him, verse 6, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. There was none like him. He was a king who could have taught his son Manasseh many things of the deliverances that the Lord gave them over the Assyrians. Of the time when the Lord told him that he was sick unto death. And what did his father do? He turned his face to the wall. In other words, he shut out every other distracting thing. And he got before God in prayer. And he prayed. And God added unto his life 15 years. He's the only man that knew the very year he was going to die. And three years into that 15 was Manasseh born into that house. He's a son of promise and of prayer. He's a father who had good acquaintances and good friends, one of which was the prophet Isaiah. And that's the sort of background that I'm trying to paint to you tonight that Manasseh was brought up under. He was taught the right from the wrong. He had good acquaintances in his family home. He had a godly father and a godly mother. And that makes men and women his depravity all the more incredible. And yet it's no different to this day. Many are brought under the influence of the gospel. Many have been taught in the things of God, blessed with having godly parents. But it does serve to remind us that godly parents cannot carry their children to heaven. They need God's salvation themselves individually. We're all born with a wicked heart. We all have that depraved nature. We are all dead in trespasses and in sins. Just like this young man, Manasseh. I want you to notice his depraved nature is seen in his idolatry. Verse 3, it says, For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. You know, it's just as if he thumbed his nose at all that his father stood for. The father, when he took over the throne, he pulled the old altars down. He removed them, the groves, the high places. 
But here's a young man who's now ascended the throne at 12 years of age. His father is dead and he seems that he has no respect for the memory of his dad. For what he did was he built up those altars again. He built up the idols that his father's father had pulled down. Here's a young man who from the worship of the true and living God has turned to the worship of gods of wood and stone. And that is against the first commandment that God wrote upon the tables. For he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And you know, dear people, of course, with idolatry comes all sorts of other sins, as we can see from the words of verse 6. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. There's the evil of offering his children to the god Molech in the, fa- in the fire of Hinnom. The valley... That valley is a particular valley. That valley was south of Jerusalem. Let me pick the, paint the picture for you of that valley. It was what we would term a rubbish heap. It was all where the place where the rubbish was carried out of the city and it was dumped. It was the place where the dead animals were brought and they were thrown there under that fire. As a result, the fires never, never went out. And there they would have passed the children through those fires as an offering unto the false god of Molech. Can you, can you imagine that? And here's a man that gave his children to pass through those fires. I should say to you also that that valley is translated as Gehenna in the Greek. It's the word that the Lord uses to describe the eternal damnation of the sinner in a lost eternity. It's a word that only the Savior and James uses in the New Testament to describe those eternal fires. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. Remember what I said, it's the rubbish heap. The fires never went out. And the Lord, when he spoke about hell, he pointed them to the valley of Hinnom, to Gehenna. And he used it as an illustration of what it will be for the ungodly, for the unconverted that go to lost eternity. The fire never be quenched. With Manasseh, there's idolatry. With Manasseh, verse 6, there's witchcraft. says also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. Those are the very things that the law of God ruled against. People of God were not to be involved with those things. You'll find it in, in the book of the Deuteronomy. With Manasseh, there's idolatry. With Manasseh, there's witchcraft. There's also the desecration of God's house, verse 7. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I had chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. There's debauchery. And no doubt, the immorality that went along with it. And dear people, we see exactly the same things today. For where there's a turning away from the worship of God, and there's a turning on to something else that must fill the void in the heart. For there is a part of man that has to be filled with something to worship. And with the worship of these things, there comes along with it the immorality, the breakdown of marriage, the bringing into this world of children outside of wedlock, the desecration of God's house, and all the rest of it. 
It's just like Manasseh. He wanted you to see his depraved nature was infamous. You can be famous, but you can also be infamous. Verse 9. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Just how wicked was this young man? Just how sinful he was can be noted from the record of heaven in these words. He made Judah and Jerusalem to sin, to err. The terms there speak of the nation in general. He's the king of Judah, but Jerusalem, of course, is the capital within that kingdom. And the influence and the example of the king made them to err. The sense of that word means he caused them to go astray. And there were his murderous deeds. I come back again to Second Kings 21 this time. And the words are verse 26. And simply says, Moreover Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Where there's idolatry, where there's a turning away from God and his word, there soon follows a disregard for life. And taking away one's life, whether it's in the womb or outside of the womb, it means nothing. I wonder, does your life influence others to sin? Am I preaching to someone tonight and who is the means of leading others to the drink or to the iniquitous places of this fallen world? Manasseh caused others to sin, but see also that he did worse than the heathen. We read that in verse 9. To be worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. What a testimony that is to have. He did worse than the heathen. The very heathen who didn't know any better. They hadn't been given the word of God. They weren't part of the, uh, the tribe or the nation of Israel. And here's a man who did worse than those people. And the purpose of it all, behind it all, was seeking to destroy God's word and witness. The name Manasseh means causing to forget. And man, dear, here's a man that lives up to his name. He's forgetting all that his father had taught him. He's forgetting about the God of his father and of his mother, Hepzibah. And dear loved one, in your sin and in your rebellion tonight, you know, that's what you're seeking to do. You don't want to remember what you've been taught concerning the Lord by a Sunday school teacher, by a mother or a father. You want to put those things out of your heart. You want to put those things out of your mind. You want to forget about them. But you know, here's a wee word that you should remember. Psalm 9 and 17 says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. All the nations that forget God. You look at those verses and ask what I've wrote against it. The depraved nature. Don't you think you're any different? You're not. We're just the same by birth as Manasseh. We're capable, sinner, you're capable of doing every sin. Every sin that we've mentioned even in these few verses. It's only the restraining grace of God that keeps you from them. But we've got to go on because I want you to notice not only the depraved nature but the dealing of God. We just considered how far this young man was to plummet in his sin. 
We could rightly think of him as an Old Testament example of the New Testament prodigal. He went far away from the Father's house, but yet the Lord was to deal with him. Thank God we're reading about the Lord dealing with him in mercy. Dear people, there must be the mercy of God in any conversion, for apart from God's mercy, and you'll be lost for all eternity. It wasn't that what the publican cried in the temple, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. On the basis of the sacrifice, on the basis of the blood that was shed, he made that heartfelt cry unto God. And that man, we read, went down to his house justified that day. He was saved. And so it must be in any conversion. Even though this great sinner had done wickedly, God was to show him mercy. And we shall see he was converted on the very threshold of hell itself. God dealt with Manasseh. By the counsel that he gave him. Verse 10 says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh. The Lord spake to Manasseh. The Lord was to speak to this young man. The word of the Lord was to come unto him. And young person, that's a mercy. Older man or woman, that's a mercy. The Lord speaks to you. The Lord has a little counsel for you. The, The psalmist feared lest the Lord would be silent unto him and he become like those that go down to the pit. Thank God if the Lord's speaking to you, if the Lord's troubling you. Thank God if your conscience is stirred as you sit under the gospel. That's the mercy of God. The word of the Lord was to come unto him. You see, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And this man was privileged in that he had the word of the Lord to his heart and to his soul. The Lord was not silent to him. He received God's counsel. But you also read in verse 10, sadly, that he would not hearken unto it. It was counsel that he rejected. And Manasseh is just like so many today who have heard the word of the Lord, who have received God's counsel for their soul, who have been shown the way of life. The Lord has not been silent to you, even though your life and your sin deserves nothing but the the wrath of God instead of God's mercy. But I wonder what have you done with his word? Has your response been exactly the same of Manasseh? I'll go my own way. I don't need the gospel preacher. I don't need this salvation that you speak about. I don't need the Lord Jesus. If God doesn't speak to your heart, then you will never be saved. I could preach to I'm blue in the face or any other preacher. That'll not matter. If God doesn't speak to your heart, you'll be lost. You'll be lost. But God's dealing with this man meant not only he had a word from the Lord, but he was caught. Verse 11. He says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon him the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. The Lord was to permit the enemy to come in. What fear there must have been in his heart. This is the heart of the king, don't forget. 
And he sees the enemy approaching. The Assyrians are coming in, flooding in over the country. And they're destroying all in its wake. They, they would have destroyed the homes, the villages. They would have raised them to the ground. They would have destroyed the very crops. They, they would have scarred the land and left it desolate. And all that this king Manasseh can do is take to his heels. He flees. He runs. But he's caught in the thorn. And you read that verse, men and women, the words there that we have read in verse 11. They took Manasseh among the thorns. And I don't need to, I don't think, emphasize the application to your soul. For thorns remind us of sin. Thorns are first mentioned in the Word of God in Genesis 3 after that Adam and Eve had sinned against the Lord, rebelled against the Lord. We read that uh, Adam was to toil the ground and would bring forth thorns and thistles. There never was thorns or thistles before sin. Thorns remind us of sin and of the curse of God on this earth. You know, the old Russellites stand in the door and they try to tell you there's a lovely place, a lovely world. They forget that this world is cursed. It's cursed with sin. Cursed by God because of sin. When the Lord deals with a sinner, that's where their defeat be found. It's in their sin. It's with the curse of God upon them. He that believeth not is condemned already. And dear soul without Christ, be sure your sin will find you out. God knows what you're reveling. He knows the sin of your heart. There is nothing hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You're caught in your sin as one who is a guilty and deserving sinner, deserving the wrath and the judgment of a holy God. And yet, what mercy if he should deal with you in salvation and you could say like the psalmist he hath not dealt with us after our sins nor awarded us according to our iniquities he didn't reward Manasseh according to his iniquities he dealt with him by having him caught caught in the thorns and you'll see also in that same verse at number 11 that he was brought and kept brought into captivity as well into Babylon God dealt with Manasseh by taking him away he was carried away from his own throne. He's away from Jerusalem. He's brought into Babylon. And there he was to be afflicted. He's no longer on the throne. He's one that's brought very low. It kind of reminds me of, Hezekiah, of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, we read in Daniel chapter 4 of how the Lord had to deal with him. Verse 33 tells us the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation Nebuchadnezzar was brought low very low he was brought even to the very field and to be looking like one of the beasts in the field until he lifted his eyes heavenward and he acknowledged that God was the, was, was the king that liveth forever and ever 
God sometimes has to deal with sinners in such a manner as to bring them low, to bring them to an end of themselves that they cannot do anything else but look up. Their soul, I wonder how low has the Lord to bring you in order for you to look away by faith to the one who bore our sins and our iniquities in his own body on that tree, to the one who became a curse for us, because cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What captivity has the Lord to bring you into so that you might heed his word, that you might seek the Lord in mercy for from his justified wrath toward a sinner like you? It might be a sickness that causes you to be on your back. It might be a tragic circumstance that comes near your door. But I tell you, it's a mercy of God if it causes you to consider your latter end and to call unto the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It would be better if you would come now, just as you are, without the Lord having to deal with you in such a way. God had to deal with Manasseh. And he did. But he dealt with him in mercy. Even though those circumstances weren't good. And there wouldn't be the sort of circumstances that you would desire. But there was a purpose behind it. Because I want you to see finally the difference here. Every conversion is remarkable in some way. Not all will be plucked from the drink and from the drugs of this world, but nevertheless, and here's something for the children and young people to remember, nevertheless, every conversion is a miracle wrought by God. Sometimes you hear uh, great testimonies as we would talk about and where the person had been and in their sin the Lord delivered it. Well, it's just as much a miracle for the Lord to save a boy or a girl, a young person brought up in a godly home who has never been in those things of the world. It's a miracle that God rots in the heart of a lost soul. And when we look at Manasseh, it's a conversion that is in power with that of the dying thief on the cross. For literally, these were men that were on the verge of hell, yet God in his mercy plucks them as a brand from the burning. Notice the difference. The difference in his words. You see, it was when he was in that affliction by the enemy that he besought the Lord. Verse 12, and says, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. In other words, he cried unto the Lord. He did so in the spirit of humility. He's not lauding it here now as the great king that sits on the throne. He can do whatever he he wants and he can fill Jerusalem on one end or the other with innocent blood. He humbles himself. He's a man who's greatly humble. He subjects himself before the great sovereign God of heaven and of earth. And God gives him the grace to humble himself greatly. And dear sinner, that is what you must do if you are to be saved. It is recognizing that you are the clay and God is the potter. It's realizing that the Lord is God and you are his creation. You're just the dust of the earth. 
And Manasseh brought low was to call upon the Lord in repentance of his sin. And he was to cry humbly unto the Lord in mercy. And the difference in his words is further developed in verse 13. Did you see them? At the very start it says, and prayed unto him. There's a difference all right. What a change the Lord is able to wrought in the life of a sinner in salvation. Like Saul of Tarsus, you remember what was said of him? It could be said of Manasseh, Behold, he prayeth. We never hear Manasseh praying again before. But see, the difference now is the Lord has come in. has stopped him in his wild career, verse 13, and he prayed unto him. From one who is an idolater to one who is now praying unto God. And who had his prayers answered. You know, the Lord wasn't only to save his soul, but he was to cause him to be brought back to the throne. We read that in the following words. He was brought again to Jerusalem, into the kingdom, into his kingdom. You know what God does in salvation? He brings the old sinner from the out of the prison house of sin, and he brings him back to himself. Because that's where Adam started in communion with his creator God. And salvation is a rescue mission. And Christ came, the second Adam, to rescue souls and men and women that he might bring them back to himself. And that's the difference that the Lord wrought in the work of salvation. I tell you, man and woman, God and salvation will change your words. He'll change your way. He changed Manasseh's words and he brought him back to the throne where before there was cursing and swearing and double meaning words. Your speech will be seasoned with grace. Where before there was no love for prayer or the prayer meeting, you will consider it then now to be essential. That's the difference that God makes. But you know the difference is also seen in his works. Look at verse 15. He took away the strange gods of the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. He's to take away the strange gods. That old altar that he set up in God's house, which he had desecrated the house of God by, he removed it. He got it out of the city. Our works don't save us. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But our works show before others that we are saved. That's the difference. And that we are the workmanship of God. And for this man, there was a putting away of the idols. There was a casting them out. What a difference is seen, not only in his words, but in his works. Tell me, has the Lord done such a work in your heart? There's been a, such a difference seen and experienced in your life. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It might be the fags. It might be the old uh, uh, lottery tickets. It might be the gambling. It might be some other thing. But now it's gone. And you have no further desire or love for them. I used to live beside a man that smoked 80 a day when the Lord saved him the next morning. He went up and he reached for the fags and he threw them in the back of the fire. And he said for me, to me, personally himself, he said from that day forward, never had a desire for one of them. The difference, you see. And there's more. Because you'll notice the difference in his worship. 
Verse 16, And he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He's to repair the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? The old altar was broken down. It had to be built up. And so it was in the kingdom of Judah this time. But Manasseh, because of what the Lord has done in his heart, he repairs the altar of the Lord. That altar that had been in disrepair and disused, and there now is a return onto the sacrifices and the offerings unto the Lord, the peace offerings, the thank offerings. You see, men and women, Calvary by faith, Calvary in type, is now the central piece of his worship. Because all those offerings are a type of Christ and what he wrought in Calvary. His influence is now for good. And not too long ago I was speaking about his influence for evil and how he made Israel to err and to sin. But now it's the other way around. He causes Judah to serve the Lord God of their fathers. How can we approach unto the Lord? How can a sinner approach the Lord tonight? It's only through the sacrifice for sin that Christ offered on the cross of Calvary. We can't approach through any merit of our own, must we have none, but it's only through Christ. For Christ made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things unto himself. You can be reconciled to a holy God tonight. You can be reconciled to the one whom you've offended because of your sin tonight. All because of another. The Lord Jesus. And dear soul, we can only offer the thanks of our heart that God ever gave his Son to be our sacrifice, to purchase our salvation through his atoning work at Calvary. Our worship is unto God alone through Christ. I like the way that verse 17 even puts it. Nevertheless, the people that sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. There's no more idolatry. It's only worship and sacrifice unto the Lord God only. And we worship the Lord God alone through Christ alone. Does your worship denote that you're saved tonight, that you've experienced God's mercy and salvation? You see, men and women, here it is. If God's grace was sufficient to reach down to a sinner like Manasseh, then I tell you, he can save you too. Like Hector MacPhail. I'm not telling you a little... Fairy tale stories, by the way, that's a true story. Like Hector MacPhail could say, there's room for a sinner like me. And give him that assurance, that peace that he needed in that very hour. I wonder, will you come tonight and know this great Savior who saves for time and praise God for all eternity. A great sinner you might be, but I present before you a greater Savior. There's room for a sinner like you. May the Lord be pleased to write his word in our heart tonight, even to the salvation of a dear loved one, for his glory's sake.